Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts to expand our appreciation and understanding of the ways that animals are part of our world. To hear other episodes of this show and other informative Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. The Radio Pet Lady Network also produces the Dog Film Festival, which celebrates the love between dogs and their people and the rescue groups that bring them together. With a generous grant from the Petco Foundation, the festival is traveling to 12 destinations across the country, including East Hampton on August 2nd, and will be back in New York City with the second annual festival October 15th. You can find more information at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. Pouches of their cats in the kitchen, their dogs in the kitchen, their more economical BFF, best feline friend, and all the varieties of canned Waruva for cats and little dogs are made with the same care and specifications used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed your pets and their own dogs and rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, for whom the company is named, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I have some really swell ladies joining me today. Katie Cleary from the World Animal News, also from many other glamorous things on television, but her passion is animals around the world. Can't wait to learn more about that. She's going to be at the Dog Film Festival in L.A., so that's going to be super fun. Rhonda Lieberman was the creator of the Cats in Residence program at the Worcester Art Museum that will be on all summer. Find out what is it about cats that has people so fascinated. And Kate Folsom will be with her book, Be here with her book, Smoke the Donkey, a Marine's unlikely friend. Her husband was that Marine, and they brought this donkey back from Iraq. That's how special smoke was. But let's start out with Katie Cleary, who's been involved with animals in many far-flung places. Iraq isn't one, but South Africa certainly is. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's tell it going? me, tell me a little bit about you. I, I learned about you from from wonderful Jewel Morris, who started the Pet Philanthropy Circle, where there's going to be a party that you'll be at in the yeah. Hamptons later in the summer. And you are a Pet Hero Award winner, which is pretty cool. You had a life. I don't know. You maybe still have a life as a as a actress and a model. Do you still do that? Yeah. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. I started when I was about 12 years old and and then around the same time actually started animal welfare, ironically. So I'm always trying to use entertainment as a platform to raise awareness and the voice that it gives you is so, it's so great because it, you know, it brings attention to some uh, issues that are are crucial to our planet, uh, especially right now. So. And the world animal news, is that your creation? That's my creation. Yeah. I found the world animal news as a, as a radio show actually in 2012 and, Everyone asked me, you know, how did this all come about with the film um, on Netflix and World Animal News and my foundation? And it was, to be honest, it was an epiphany I had in 2012. And the name World Animal News literally just popped into my head, as well as, you know, with Give Me Shelter, the film that I did. And, and you know, around that same time, I started working on, on all three, my foundation, um, the film and World Animal News. And I just started pitching them and it, and it worked. And, you know, fast forward to now 2016, it's it's all really taken off. So, um, you know, the first big thing was Netflix picking up Give Me Shelter, and uh, that was huge. I prayed so every day for that. Let's, about I, that. let's yeah. talk about that first off, because yeah. that's something that everyone can see on Netflix? Yes, everyone can see that on Netflix. Um, it took me about three years to shoot it, and wow. and then 
you know, iTunes and Amazon uh, was the first to pick it up in uh, actually in 2015. And then shortly after that, Netflix offered us a deal. And, so you, you, and made it, you made it at the perfect time as streaming media became available and documentaries and things that, that take people to other places with other ideas became possible. It, it wasn't possible before. I mean, regular, TV, exactly. whatever we mean by that, there was no interest yeah. because Paul Malov or somebody didn't want to put their ad on it. But yeah. but this is just a passion project. When you say three years, it's because a good deal of it's in Africa, right? Well, actually, you know, we have footage that we've used from from Africa. So, um, you know, we haven't traveled there yet. But for the second documentary, we're going to be traveling to Africa, Indonesia, and and pretty much all over, uh, just because we really need to get the footage on the ground of what's happening with the palm oil industry and how they're destroying the rainforest uh, because of an oil that's essentially in 50% of our products and, and orangutans are being affected. Tigers are being affected in Indonesia. So we have to get that footage there on the ground because as we speak, Indonesia is burning to the ground. Therefore. Wow. And so um, a lot of people don't know these are, these things no. are happening. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, and of course in, in Africa, at least three rhinos are killed every single day for their horns and they leave these baby orphans. And a lot of my friends are working on the ground and taking, taking care of these orphans and bottle feeding them. And literally they're with them 24 hours a day. They sleep with them. Um, you know, they feed them. They're their surrogate mothers because of these, the poaching epidemic in Africa. Um, and it's to feed the black market trade of their horns. Um, of course, ivory, you know, uh, they had the big ivory crush in Kenya. This was uh, two weeks ago, and they crushed 105 tons of ivory. So that was the equivalent of, um, I believe, about 40,000 elephants that were killed oh, in the dear. last um, couple of years. So, you know, unfortunately, these animals are going extinct, and there's really no news organizations that are covering it um, like we want to cover it. So I created World Animal News because... You know, I hate to live in a world where our children can't see these animals in the wild, and it's getting to that point right now. And where these baby animals lose their mothers and are orphaned and just would die. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of us have heard about, maybe not seen the footage, but those who have, it's sometimes you'll see it once in a blue moon on a 60 Minutes kind of thing, showing orphaned chimps or gorillas or even elephants, but we didn't even know about rhinos. I think of rhinos as being so tough and aggressive and dangerous or something, but I didn't understand how nearly extinct they are. You're doing a GoFundMe project, which I tend to not get involved with on the radio because everyone wants to fund something, their honeymoon or something, but this is quite, quite (laughs) different than someone's honeymoon. It shows these amazing photos, Katie, on the GoFundMe page that are so compelling of these little rhinos and the elephants being bottle fed and, and, and the rhino gently nibbling on a guy's hand. I'm like, whoa, I thought rhinos just wanted to kill people. And it clearly no, was not yeah. it. And what about that other yeah. mammal that I've never heard of and you're going to bring light to this strange and marvelous little armadillo-ish looking animal? Yeah, the, the pangolin, um, they're actually next to the rhino and, and tiger. They're one of the most endangered species on the planet. Um, and I just found out actually yesterday, because I worked with Sea Shepherd, um, and we did a, a huge story for World Animal News with what Sea Shepherd does. Um, they're fighting to, to save the, the vaquita dolphin. And the vaquita um, is, there's only 34 dolphins left. They went from 90 to 50 to 34 oh my recently. God. Oh my God. And this is in Mexico in the Sea of Cortez. And so, um, so I found out that's actually right now 
like on the top of the list of endangered species, the Vaquita dolphin, the, wow. the pangolin, which is exactly like a little armadillo that they um, spell you know, it. Spell it for people because it sounds like penguin, like what you see in the Arctic. Oh yeah, no, no, P A N G O L I N. And it's so, and it's a cool yeah. looking little animal. It's kind of got scales, but like little bristles. Mm-hmm. And your pictures, and you would like, never think. No, yeah, you would never think that they would hunt them to eat. I, I just don't understand. But you know, unfortunately, a lot of it is being sold on the black market in China and Asia, and and for for medicine that really has no medicinal purpose. So it's ancient Chinese medicine. You know, even in Japan they sell it as well. And and there's no proven you know, cure for anything. Like they don't, it doesn't cure anything really. I mean, right. there's I mean, any more than, it. any more than rhino yeah. or elephant tusk make, give you an erection. I mean, can't they just no, sell Viagra yeah, in, the, in China? What's the matter? They can't sell Viagra there. It's just like, and, and should, apparently yeah. Japan, there's a lot of fascination with male erections and how uh, this winds up obliterating yeah. entire, mm-hmm. you know, species of animals. It's just something. Yeah. These are not even illnesses. These are just human folly, right? Yeah, no, no, no. It really, truly, it is, and it's, it's, you know, causing the extinction of our most important, not not only apex predators, but important species around the world. And you know, we have to do what we can to use our voices. And so that's why I think you know, entertainment is is a great tool as far as you know the voice that it gives you. Um, and a lot of people in this business don't use it for that for that purpose, you know. And yes. I think that you know, if you have a following and you have that audience there, why not use it to protect something that is going to be here for hopefully be here for future generations? And and now you know you don't have to do it for animals; you can do it really for anything, you know, any yeah. cause. But yeah, um, other, know, than, but your, other than your honeymoon, to, right? Yeah, or other than yourself. Yeah, other than yourself for five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, When when you say a following, how did you develop the following? Was it, tell some of the shows that you've been part of, because people might go, Katie Cleary, I think I know who that is. America's Top Model was a show you were on, right? Yeah, that was the first, uh, the first stint really in entertainment was America's Next Top Model. Uh, I was on the first season. And then uh, from there, I auditioned for Deal or No Deal when I first moved to L.A. And I was on that show for about four years with Howie oh, Mandel. Really? And, um, oh, so yeah, people it was, would it was, know you from Deal or show. No Deal. That was a great show. Yeah, it was great. It was so much fun. I was number 11 the whole time. <laughs> but, you know, but that gave me a, a stepping stone, you know, and, and a little bit darned. of a a lead in this business because then, you know, you get to know people and, yes. you know, being on the show for four years, we've got so many guests, we've got Ellen, we've got, yes. um, you know, tons of people that come on that are also passionate about animals. So, um, so, you know, using top model and deal or no deal. And then I, you know, recently did how to get, get away with murder and um, two and a half men. Oh, wow. And let's see. And yeah. And That's a pilot. Some pretty with fancy John shows. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, sorry, sorry for I... being such a dope and saying, gee, do you still act? Because, I'm aware of this work you're doing with animals, and I, it looks like a full-time job. It, well, it is. That's the thing. So in, in between the full-time job, I, you know, of course, have to make uh, to earn money to, to pay for everything because I've, I've literally paid for everything pretty much, you know, the film and World Animal News from the start. So No kidding. Yeah. Really? So that's, you know, I have to well, – we're assembling a, a big team right now to help, you know, raise funding and – uh, of course, for the second documentary. Um, so the first documentary, I invested all my own money into. The second one, we're, we definitely need help with. So that's to- I, that's think, gonna- I think if anybody really seriously deserves a Pet Hero Award, it's somebody who has made the time, found the time, and used all of her personal wealth, income, you know, like like beer money 
to help these <laughs> animals. It's just so cool. I must say that Thanks. on your GoFundMe page, what I like about it is that it shows exactly where a donation would go. And and we don't yeah. we we that haven't been to South Africa or people have been on fancy safaris but don't understand these issues. The poaching helicopter. Talk about some of these individual items that you need to raise money for so that yeah. you can then film the horrible situation that we're in and hope to somehow affect change. Yeah, you know, honestly, a lot of these things um, that that we're looking to purchase, whether it's milk, whether it's, you know, infrared cameras, whether it's uh, a helicopter, which is, of course, a little bit more pricey. But, um, you know, it, it's crucial because this is the way we're able to catch the poachers. And I've yes. got pit track that's on the ground there. Rhino Savers, who is one of our partners uh, for World Animal News. Um, you know, these people are on the ground working every single day to save these animals. So if we can get them, you know, just a couple infrared cameras to yes. be able to see motion, then, you know, um, because they're patrolling, you know, pretty much all night because when there's a poacher's moon, which is, you know, obviously a full moon, oh. that's when the poachers come out. So, and these people and the people that there's pictures of on your website, they, they look like full on army, you know, military militia because they have to be dressed yeah. like that. I, I realize, yeah. or many of us realize they're in severe jeopardy themselves. They're often killed by the poachers, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and to, it's the, tragic. are really um, disheartening. Unfortunately, last year, you know, we've lost a couple hundred rangers uh, that are that were protecting, you know, elephants and rhinos and even lions. Um, it, it's just it's heartbreaking that it's it's a full on war uh, right now in Africa. And not only that, I mean, even, you know, to stop the trade in Asia, there's people on the ground in Asia that are, you know, that are undercover, that are. We're, you know, we're doing what we can. I mean, it's really not easy. How do those people operate, Katie? That's very interesting because it's one thing to try and stop the flow from the production end, to to use a crude phrase for slaughtering animals and taking their body parts. But how do you interrupt that supply? I mean, if you think of it as the way drugs have been handled, do you go after Mm -hmm. the people growing seven marijuana plants or do you somehow try and interrupt the supply chain? Because the people making the big money are the ones further down the supply chain, right? Oh yeah, those are the bosses, and you know. So how do we of, get the bosses? People, well, it's it's a process, you know, and a lot of people go undercover um, to to be able to do it, and then you know, of course, film and film it, and then we give it to people like us, and and wow. you know, we put it in documentaries, and then they get busted. Um, but you know, the the key is to get um, the transaction on tape. Really, so get it on tape. If you can get them to saying it and on audio, we need you need pure evidence of this because if you don't have the evidence it's just hearsay so you know so we can get them on tape we've got people that work um for a lot of the big organizations um you know without giving you too much information right, right. um but you know there there's a there's a large worldwide community um of people that that have the access that are able to get in to get it on tape to go undercover um, because if we don't have this, then there's no way we can save these animals because we have to expose the people uh, that are doing this. So, and, I, and I'm sure Humane Society International and other international organizations are very involved. I, I haven't done any episodes recently of Tales from China, my my show that's that's China based with somebody who is a real explainer of how that government mm-hmm. works, of how that country works. It'd be great to find out if, if Mary Pang at the International Center for uh, Veterinary Services, who does so much spay, neuter, and TNR and other mm-hmm. educational work, if she uh, 
maybe there's people there that can help. I have no idea if Beijing is is an area. Maybe that's not where the trade takes place. It sounds to me like a kind of oh, it, scary, it yeah, fabulous TV show. Yeah. And you're the star and you have all these really brave gun-toting, you know, wearing a, a mustache and, and, and glasses undercover people. And and, and your yeah, passion is driving it in something else, I'll say. So yeah. you so and also a That'd lot of that wonderful. equipment is very there's a picture of, of a of a young lady wearing, you know, like bush shorts or something, holding up a tracking device up above her head in the air. And many of us that have watched David Attenborough and other shows go, Oh yeah, that's the thing where they pick up the roar or the cheap or the peep. But we never stop to think, but that costs money and someone has to provide that. You know, exactly, I mean, exactly. all the things that you need are practical pieces of equipment in order to document yeah. the problem. Exactly. You know, and, and to raise, you know, 50000 is really not much, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But, no. but that will save, that could single-handedly save, you know, maybe a dozen rhino, maybe a dozen elephant, oh. you know, uh, the pangol, you know, you just don't know. So that's really my goal, you know, to go out over there and, you know, of course, film the second documentary, but also bring you know, everything that we need, all the supplies that we need, um, you know, on the ground to pit track, to rhino savers, to everyone that's working there to be able to, you know, do their job better. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. When, when people, um, go and get, give me shelter from Netflix, do you, do you get money every time somebody downloads it or looks at it or do you just got the money? Not from, yeah, not for Netflix, unfortunately. Um, if you, if you get it from, uh, give-me-shelter.com, which is our website, um, a percentage does go back. And then of course on iTunes and Amazon, but no, Netflix is, a, is unfortunately different, different. but, um, yeah. But okay. if you do have Netflix, you can, you can watch or you can, you know, also make a donation to Peace for Animals, um, you know, and, and of course, um, the campaign that we're running on GoFundMe. Yes, all of which I'm, I'm thinking people listening, you know, you're you're out there really doing the old, doing the walk, doing the talk, doing the whole nine yards. I mean, you're there. <laughs> and the rest of us just go, oh, woe is me, oh, woe is me. The world is a terrible place, but you're making it a better place. I mean, there's really no doubt about it. Things are really well, grim. You. And I, I really admire anybody who's willing to say, I'm going to spend the next three years of my life and raise $50,000 and then throw in a whole bunch more of my own money to save maybe a dozen rhino. And, you know, it's very touching because for so many of us, it's like it's all hopeless. I mean, they're all gone. There's hardly any left. What's 12 rhino? But to you, 12 rhino are the future. They're hope, you know, yeah, and I think that's it is, very it is. inspiring. I'm, and ironically, the, the one of the ones, um, you know, that was actually poached, I believe it was last year, her name was Hope. And um, oh. she was so badly, um, I mean, I hate to, to describe this to you, but she's mutilated. Her whole face was just basically chopped in half for her for her horn. Oh my God. And they didn't think she was going to survive. And she did. And so it was uh, the one wow. year anniversary. Actually, the other day we did a story for Wool Animal News. And, you know, it's wow. something that... Um, you know, speaking of hope, there is hope. And yes. you know, without hope, what do we really have and, and, and faith? And so, you know, I really think that we can, we can, you know, come together on this and make a big difference and use our voices and use social media the right way uh, to give back and to send a message that, you know, of course, these animals don't have a voice and we're really all they have. Well, it's it's really inspiring and a, and a great example to others. And if all anybody does is listen and click and give and and cheer you on, that's that's something too. I'm really that's looking helpful. forward, yes, to seeing you at the pooch party on July 31st in the Hamptons, and then at the movies on at Guildhall on August 2nd. 
for the, yeah. the Dog Film Festival. And also uh, a lot of the Pet Hero Award winners like yourself will be there to be to be feted. So it's going to be really fun to be together. And I hope that 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 many good things will have happened for you in the in the month between now and then and I look thank you Katie thank keep you, up the, you. keep up the good work it's it's very exciting oh. and very inspirational thank you so much take you care a great show see you Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. bye bye we'll be right back after this quick word with Rhonda Lieberman from the Worcester Art Museum we'll be right back this show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who has created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family, with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitty cats and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. This show is also brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. However, all fish oil is not created equal. The Nordic Naturals difference is that their oil comes from Norway where they use responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness. I am back with Rhonda Lieberman, who is the brains behind the Worcester Art Museum Cats in Residence program. We, we had Adam come on a few weeks ago to talk about it, but now it's up, it's running. And Rhonda, what does it feel like to have made cats the, 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 the center of everything going on at the Worcester Art Museum? Well, first of all, I'm so thrilled, and this uh, this is also kind of a long-standing um, project. It actually it goes back 17 years, Whoa. so I'm so happy to finally see it's you know it's, cats are having their day in the art world. I was pitching the Cats in Residence program in the late 90s when I was tending a feral cat colony down my street in Long Island City, and I just became um, so enamored of these rescue cats in the cat area, and that's how I got initiated into the whole, um, how overextended the, this shelter system is. And I thought, what if we had a really beautiful kind of like great feeling place where, you know, we could hang out with the cats and it would be like a, you know, it, it really was like a great art experience hanging out with them there. So I was pitching this project to, you know, art spaces because I've been a contributing editor at Art Forum for many years and I have a lot of art background. And I thought, you know, what better, what could be better than, you know, rescue cats in an art installation? You know, like, who, who wouldn't love this? And it was, it was you were ahead of show. your time. You were definitely yeah, ahead I of really, the curve. I don't like to, you know, to my own horn, but in fact, you know, it was, I, you know, I was ahead of things. And, uh, you know, the people, I, I got a lot of artists um, excited about it, you know, people who I knew love cats and who were like, oh, this is great, this has to happen, why isn't this happening, you know? <laughs> and it, it would have, you know, it kind of was, so I had a great base among artists and designers who couldn't wait to do cat-friendly artwork for it, but um, it was hard to find, uh, you know, the space. Yes. And then what happened was, you know, of course, the Internet and the Internet Cat Festival at the Walker was very successful. Yep. So finally, the art world was like, hey, you know, we can have a cat show and not, you know, look like complete dorks. <laughs> of course, I always knew it was, I was an out and proud cat lady, you know, way back when. But of course, I have a dog, too. I mean, I'm not only a, you know, I, I'm a pro-animal, period. But I was an out and proud cat lady. And I thought it was a really hilarious and fun to, you know, 
just wave your freak flag, you know, your cat lady freak flag. But you always had the idea that the cats would be there and people would, it would be an interactive art exhibition or installation. Absolutely. And that itself was a pretty novel idea. I mean, in the well, 90s, what, that yeah. was very cutting edge, right? Well, the, you know, the funny thing was it made sense as an art, art idea because actually I used to teach art in Sweden and in European art situations, they have this, they had this thing at the time that's still happening. It's called relational art and it's like art is social practice where art could be, you know, community events and happenings and things that were not really organized through selling an art product or an art oh, commodity. Yes. And it actually was supported by generous, you know, states, state sponsorship of the arts when artists didn't have to sell their work to have, um, you know, viable art careers, that they were able to create, you know, atmospheres and situations and, you know, happenings. So this kind of idea came from that, being exposed to that kind of art practice. So then when I was taking care of the cats in the cat area, I found it, it was easy for me to just kind of like see it as a kind of an aesthetic and, you know, meditative kind of being, you know, a bee, yes. interspecies being yes. with the cats. And I was like, God, these re- rescue cats, I, I found homes for, you know, the rescue cats. And I was like, you know, they're like, they're waifs and they're, you know, we know how sad it is that, you know, seven out of ten don't make it out of the municipal shelters alive. And I was like, what if we could just value these these stray cats as, you know, like precious objets d'art almost. Oh, I and love just it. Present them, yeah, present them in an environment where they're seen as precious and because they're all amazing, you know, like, you know, Leonardo said the smallest right. feline is a masterpiece. That's right. Yeah, so that's where this all came from, and it was like um, just finding the the art space that would host this, um, you know, this thing. So it finally happened in 2013 where I curated a cat show, um, the cat show, at White Columns in New York City, and it was very... Um, successful, and I used it at, to debut this Cats in Residence program to show that it could work, and it really worked. I mean, people just loved it. And then it traveled to two other places. So Worcester is the third, the fourth place I'll in the first darned. art museum. Well, the first yeah. art museum, the others were just spaces where you were able to make it happen, but not a full-on accredited art museum, which is even... Well, actually, yeah, they were art, they were actually high-profile art world places. I they see. were art, I non-profits. See. Right. Nonprofit art spaces that were very art, you know, art with a capital A. Yes, gotcha. But, yeah. Well, let me ask you something. It, you always envisioned that there would be X number of cats in a, an enclosure that people could get in and be with, or just watch them as art objects in motion. Oh, it's definitely about interspecies encounters right. and you know, kind of like leveling the hierarchy between the the humans and the cats and kind of coexisting in this meditative and kind of playful, you know, delightful space. So it's, it's not objectifying the cats. It's actually right. seeing them. I, I, I make a joke that, you know, it's a performance piece, P-U-R-R dash performance <laughs> piece. And the cats, the way they perform is by just being cats because that's <laughs> funny. And, Which you know, is all just, they do just, in anyone's house anyway. That's all exactly. your cat does is exactly. just show you his glory. And, yeah. Yes, and it's like a bee-in with the cats. You know, we could have a coast interspecies bee-in, and um, it's a kind of a, it's a playful way to tease out also just ideas about, you know, compassion for other species and animal welfare. You know, it's like kind of like, it's a, I'm very serious about animal welfare and animal rights, and this is a way where I'm not ranting at people. <laughs> right. right, you're showing them in, in, in real time 
flesh and blood and a real feeling animal. How did you decide either how many cats would be there and how many people would be allowed in at a time? And was there some worry about, you know, oh, what if 25 people want to come in and there's only 11 cats? Or did you worry about anything practical like that? Oh, absolutely. Those are very carefully thought out um, design decisions, like how many um, cats and people can coexist in the space without kind of, in, you know, without creating stress on, you know, every level. So it depends, like the, the space expands and contracts according to the, um, the, the space that we're working in. Um, I should start out by saying that the cats and humans and cat-friendly artwork. <laughs> There's cat-friendly artwork by 23 humans and human artists and designers, and it's enclosed within a cat aviary. I heard um, Adam's like great interview with you, and he's calling it an aviary. And I don't know, want to alarm bird people. It's a cat aviary. There are no birds. <laughs> so, so the word aviary is used for any. Uh, I thought it was it meant avian, as in bird. What do we call anything an aviary that even if it doesn't have birds in it, or it has. Well, I'd have, to look up, I'd have to look up aviary I, I, in, in, in the dictionary, I guess, but the, the, um, a, a large kind of like um, mesh-covered structure right, right. Um, is, we were used to seeing that as an aviary, but we're calling it a cat aviary. Right, right. So um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'm going to look this up. I'm not going to go online now. <laughs> no, I'm probably not now, and it's, and it's rude of me to bring it up because you're already calling no. it that. You've done press releases, but it's sort of like, well, why do we want to bring up the fact that there's all those cat haters who say cats kill birds and don't let them out when these cats are very much enclosed and there are no birds. No birds are harmed in the making of the cat aviary, but the cats have a Absolutely. lot of places to climb, right? Yes. Okay, so these are all design issues that are just through design, cat-friendly design, and you know, you probably know as a cat, I guess you're a cat person too. As oh, well as my goodness, person. yes, I wrote the cat Bible. Oh, my God, how could I take that I'm in all vain? About, oh. I'm all about, you know, enhancing the, the experience of a cat, and I think cats are the most under-respected, even pets, because people just keep them on this horizontal floor, and they're animals who need vertical space, and they like height. So we've actually Ag given them a really diminished life. We've locked them inside for safety and then not give them the thing they want, which is basically a tree, thank you. Exactly. These are design issues. So it's about vertical space and it's about places where they can hide if they choose to, you know, retreat. So we have like, you know, enclosure type things. We have a, a, many um, vertical things for them to climb. Um, nice. Kind of sculptural cat trees. You, you, you have to come to see it. And I'm maybe, going to. Um, it's, unfortunately, yeah. it's a two-hour drive for me, but for a lot of the people listening, it oh, is as right. well, but it's worth it. It's just get in your car and you drive somewhere. I mean, if you're going to drive to an ice cream factory, you'd be better off to drive to the Cats in Residence program and, you know, do something more than lick something on a cone. I mean, I think <laughs> it's definitely a destination. It's something so unusual because it just changes your perception in the best possible way. How long do people tend to stay in the aviary once they're in? Well, that's, uh, by the way, thank you for what you just said. It's it's really a perfect description, and and you, I guess you've only seen pictures that from. Our, I should say that we have um, on Instagram and Twitter. You could find a lot of documentation of the previous um, installations, and we're hashtag cats in residence. And um, when the cats are at Wham, um, they'll they'll be there from July 13th to September 4th, and we'll have we'll be doing lots of 
social media documenting them so you can see who's there and you know what they're doing but people tend some people stay a long time they just kind of park there (laughs) and hang out i mean in fact there's that cat cafe i believe it was in new york maybe there's one in la as well where they they, it's a cafe that's built around cats that are for adoption and pick a number eight or ten live there all the time until somebody adopts them but only a certain number of humans are allowed in in a Starbucks right. kind of way. And then people are greedy and they will just stay hours just to watch the cats. I mean, they're, yeah. if you stop and look at them as what Michelangelo said, this perfect work of art, it's pretty mesmerizing. And, and even at ARF, the wonderful Animal Rescue Fund of the Hamptons that is the beneficiary of the Dog Film Festival uh, on August 2nd, there's a cat room there. And I thought of it immediately when I heard about your... your um, installation because that's how you go to meet the cats in fact my photo on the back of the cat bible is taken at arf in their cat room and you can go in there and just sit and you know some cats will come over to you and some cats will hide from you but it's a really cool experience and i think you've created that in an environment that's even more aesthetic although the cat room is very nice yeah i'm sorry that's exactly aesthetic is what's exciting yeah yeah, it's the fact that I loved sitting in the um, the feral cat colony they used to take care of, and I loved cat rooms at rescue places, but you know, they were always so kind of like grungy and everything, but they were still fabulous. And yes. so I thought, why not make a more appealing version of this, you know, with more bells and whistles and all kinds of like, you know, creative, fun, designy things. And so it was basically that, that sentiment that any cat room is, is really great to hang out in. So let's kind of create a an art version of it. Did any in the other places, the first three places where you held it, were there any mishaps? Did anybody get scratched or bitten? I, I imagine that the powers that be might worry. All they, people always worry about the negatives and insurance and lawsuits and problems. Did anything bad ever happen? Well, we were really careful to think, anticipate anything like that. So when I. I partner with a different rescue group, a, a local rescue group at each site, and I asked them to select, you know, socialized oh, nice. cats who would be, wouldn't mind meeting and right. greeting, you know, the public, because as much as, you know, they all deserve homes, it would be kind of a bad bet to kind of take a, you know, a, a cat that didn't like to be around people and put them in a, you know, situation like that. So we didn't have any, any mishaps. And we do have, um, you know, we have cat etiquette. There's a, there's a, um, a list of cat etiquette. Oh, tips nice. that I post on the entrance to the cat aviary, and we don't we allow a certain amount of people in at each time, like depending on um, you know how dense the installation is. I would say no more than ten at a time, and it, you know the traffic at these spaces varies. You know, so during a rush hour, sometimes it's really crammed with people, and sometimes it's you know more you know leisurely, but um, we don't let it get past a certain point. But of That's course, there's lots crowded. of room on the perimeter of the of the mesh. I mean, yes, you may not be yes. in there, but you can still have the experience with just the mesh between you and the people and the cats, right? Exactly. People could look into it absolutely, and they could sit at. You know, we have cat benches. They have like they they're benches that look like cat. Oh, see. nice. <laughs> nice. But um, seating for humans. You know, it's, only humans, only cats are allowed to um, climb and sit on the cat pieces you know the humans have human seating or they could sit on the floor but um 
it's we we haven't had mishap, but we do have these cat etiquette rules. You know, kind of Smart. advising people to be you know low key and not to make you know not to crowd the cats, not to you know all the things that cats wouldn't like. We basically suggest people don't do. <laughs> That's you know so, what you're educating people that just may not wouldn't know any better. You know, it's great. I mean, every little bit of education helps. I assume there's an age under which you don't want children in there. Well, that's another. That that's actually the the trickiest situation because I want kids to. I love I love kids' enthusiasm for the cats, and of course the kids are allowed in, but their parents need to keep an eye on them and make sure they're not, um, you know, being unruly. Like, you know, no roughhousing, no running, certainly no tail grabbing <laughs> or no anything like to, that. And no trying to pick up a cat. Um, it, you know, we keep an eye on it. Some You can tell with some parents that they are cat people and they're they're supervising their, their tot. But I, I don't want to be too um, draconian about it, but at the same time, it's, you know, we are definitely um, concerned that people keep a chill atmosphere, you know. Because definitely, because cats don't, cats like don't just... appreciate a bunch of, of rowdy. I, in the cat Bible, I do say, because I'm more draconian than you, apparently, that children under the age of eight or something should never lift a cat. I do actually believe that. I don't believe oh, that children can hold the cat steadily. I'll send you my little list, because I do think, oh, actually, you. that children can adore and enjoy cats, but they should not lift a cat off the ground, because they can't do it in a way that really supports the cat properly. It's just not the way children think about their own bodies. And then the cat, in trying to escape, can easily scratch the kid, or if the kid tries to hold on tight when the cat's trying to get away. I mean, it's not the end mm-hmm. of the world, but I just think, yeah. you know, that's part of respecting a cat, you know. Go, maybe there's a gift shop and they can buy a nice stuffed animal for their kid. I just don't think small children should lift cats off the ground. And if someone's cat lets them do it at home, well, more power to the cat. It's sort of like those Labrador retrievers at home that let the kid pounce on them and horse around with them. And it actually puts the kid at jeopardy because nobody else's dog's going to tolerate that. So, yeah, just, that's, I'm going to add this, by the way, to the tips for um, oh, where- pretty. We oh, have the goody. kid um, guideline. I'm going to say kids don't pick up the cats. Yeah, just don't <laughs> pick them up, period. Just, they right. don't have to pick them up. The cats are, do just a fine job of walking on their own. I think it's fantastic. I'm definitely going to come. I think it's tremendous. I love your tenacity. I love that you waited 17 years. You just hung in there. <laughs> you didn't give up. You knew you, you had a great idea, and you really do have a great idea, and it's wonderful that they've embraced it at the Worcester Art Museum, and and I'm sure you're just going to have a ball, and anyone who goes there can take pictures and upload them and share the fun, and it's great, Rhonda. Congratulations, and and wonderful. I'd like to mention one more thing, that the cats are available for adoption through the Worcester Animal Rescue League, and they're our partner for the project, so please think that, you know, consider adopting a cat from Worcester Animal Rescue League. (laughs) And, And the cats who are in there, are they adoptable only at the end of the show or at any time? No, we, well, Worcester Animal Rescue League processes the adoption. There are going to be applications available and volunteer available to assist people. But it it goes according to their protocol. If they process the application and it it goes through during the course of the show, then certainly we'll adopt that that cat and replace it with with a a new candidate. Like that's how it's, we kind of revolve them. Yeah, rotate them. That would be wonderful if your performers all got adopted out and people would just have to see pictures of virtual cats. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. There's always more kitties, and especially this time of year, more than ever. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for creating this and for being here. It's wonderful to talk to you, and I look forward to meeting all these kitties in the aviary. 
Thank you. Cat aviary. The exactly. Cat aviary. You and I will both look that up, but it's probably too late to fix it if it only means a place for birds, because we don't want cats in there if it's if the birds think it's for them. Thank you so it's much, a, Rhonda. Cat aviary. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Kate Folsom and her book, Smoke the Donkey. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic, natural cat and dog foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes, like Vigor, give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres, where they emphasize giving back by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. I am back with Kate Folsom and her book, Smoke the Donkey, A Marine's Unlikely Friend. Truly one of the most unlikely human-animal bond stories imaginable. Just extraordinary, all for this one most fetching and adorable donkey who ate a cigarette and thereby got his name in war-torn Iraq. Kate, welcome to the show. It's so delightful to meet you. Thank you. I appreciate your invitation. Well, what did you think when your husband, Colonel John Folsom, uh, started letting you know long distance, there he was in Fallujah, that he fell in love with this donkey and just had to move (laughs) it right along and bring it on home? Well, it it evolved a little more slowly, but when I first heard that, uh, that he had taken in a donkey, I just thought, well, that sounds like John, because he, <laughs> he's had a number of animal adventures in our in our time together. <laughs> right. So that wasn't such a shock. And they really basically had him as a mascot. He hung out with them the way some of our troops in Afghanistan or wherever have taken in a dog, usually. That's right. He uh, attended a meeting. They had daily briefings. And... Uh, after one of these briefings, his commanding general pulled him into his office. They were chatting, and he said, by the way, you've got to check this out. And he showed him a YouTube video of another donkey, presumably, that had wandered onto a base. And the Marines had tried to catch the donkey so they could escort it off base and tried and tried and tried. And the donkey was smarter than the Marines. <laughs> And so someone had t- taken this this uh, security tape, speeded it up, and put some music to it, the Benny Hill theme song, <laughs> and posted it, and it was hilarious. And the general just said, hey, the next time you see a donkey, why don't you catch it? And so that's Uh-oh. how it all started. <laughs> oh, my God, that's such a funny story. And sure enough, in wanders the donkey who was not yet called Smoke. And I grew up with, with a pair of donkeys um, who actually surprised me by having a baby 11 and a half months later. It was a mother and son, and he hadn't been quite gelded yet. So the little baby Tinkerbell was kind of like a dwarf donkey. And then as a grown person, I had a pair of donkeys here in Vermont that I named Mona and Lisa, a mother and daughter, and they were miniature donkeys. So to people that haven't been around donkeys, and Bambi, who listens to the show all the time, she has a donkey in the Hamptons and Sagaponic, they really are incredibly funny and affectionate little critters. I mean, they have quite a personality, but smoke seemed to take it to a whole nother level. 
Well, that's what I thought. And I had no personal experience with donkeys, but I was just amazed at the, the, at the relationship that he built, certainly with John, but with other people as well. He just had quite a personality. And even the, the horse people I know have said since then that, that he's, he was something special. And, and, to, and as special as he is, the amount of effort that was expended to first he was after they after um, your husband's retirement, smoke was given to a sh- local sheikh, right? Sheikh, sheikh. How do we say that word correctly nowadays? Um, sheikh. Yes, sheikh, sheikh. I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever uh, it is, he was given to that yeah. person who presumably right. would have given him a nice life, right? I mean, they don't eat donkeys yeah. or anything, or they don't. They're beasts of burden in most places, but maybe the sheikh didn't need a beast of burden. But Smoke got away. Smoke didn't like it there. He wanted to be back with the Marines. Well, really the situation was that, yeah, the when the Marines moved out, after John's unit completed its deployment, then another Marine unit took over. And they took care of Smoke for, I think, several months. Uh, but then when they, at some point, they decided this is really too much hassle. And so they looked around for an alternative and uh, asked this local sheikh that they had dealings with if, if he would take it in. And, you know, I think it's not so much the sheikh did or didn't take care of him. It's just that donkeys are not significant creatures in That's that part sure. of the world. That's for sure. If, yeah. If they're used at all, it's as a beast of burden. But but my understanding is that that's usually just the poorest of poor farmers that's who right. even use them. And so they're just left on the, on their own. And they don't have barns and, and pen enclosures and pastures. And so these donkeys just kind of roam around and, and uh, make do with what they can find. So I don't think the sheikh mistreated him. But I see. They just, just treated him like a donkey is, is treated. So your husband yeah. discovered that here was smoke not under the protection of the United States Marines and went, went began to go through the bureaucratic red tape of moving him First to Turkey, which sounded like quite an aggravation because there was some lady helping who was kind of a hindrance. She was she was a pretty intense woman who seemed to rub everyone the wrong way, right? I think she's a strong personality. I think she uh, her heart was in the right place, but I my my research indicated she didn't do the research that that needed to be done. She was used to handling dogs and cats but not donkeys, which entails entirely different federal agencies and international uh, livestock transportation yeah. issues. So, yeah, it was, she was kind of in over her head, I think. And, and yet your uh, husband persevered. He persevered. He was determined to get that donkey, and you had to, they had to get blood samples and all kinds of physical exams because there are diseases carried by oh, those yeah. animals that can be ruinous to other animals in the country that they're moved to if they carry the things that the animals either aren't immunized against or something. I mean, it, it is oh, really yeah. a danger. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to the veterans at the uh, animal center in Newburgh, New York. That's one of three, three spots where animals are quarantined before they're allowed in the country. And he, he said, you've got to remember Iraq is a country at war. And they had no, you know, our usual, it's not like they have a, uh, 
agriculture department that's right. functioning normally, right. you know. Right. And so they just, it was pretty chaotic. And so uh, other countries like Turkey is, is rightfully going to protect its own sure. livestock industry. It can't let in uh, creatures without knowing uh, what, just what they're bringing with them. So it was, it was pretty crazy. And yet, and, and yet your husband persevered. He just didn't give up. He just kept his course. Maybe that's part of being a Marine. You just you I, leave I nobody behind. Absolutely. Right? No one gets that's left behind. That's what Marines are like. Yeah. So, that's what Marines are like, and that's what John's like. He just, once he decides to do something, he, he charges that hill. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it was really quite cool because you're thinking, well, it's only a donkey. But no, it's really a very special donkey. And the, the men had made a commitment to him, and they'd built him a shelter and a and a little enclosure, and they had fed and watered him, and and Smoke was, you know, having a pretty good life for a donkey. And when he got to America, he's actually been had a lot of important roles. I mean, as he a therapist, he, he's pretty. He did cool. a lot for a lot of people. I, I was I was so impressed when I talked to people in the equine therapy program. Because they just told me one story after another about what a difference this little donkey made in the lives of people who were just struggling to, uh, you know, get some normalcy back in their lives after they returned from the war. So the veterans, the therapy work he did was was most extraordinary for the veterans. He actually, this is, um, it's a local program here called Take Flight Farms in Omaha, and they work with a variety of groups. Veterans are one component, but they also work with school groups and troubled uh, youth and corporate training groups, all kinds of groups. And uh, the organizers told me that, for example, that the children, they would come to a session and the therapist would say, well, who, you know, which horse do you want to work with today? Well, smoke, smoke, we want to work with smoke. <laughs> Was, was pretty common. So he helped kids as well as veterans. But I, they, the veterans, I think, had just an instant rapport with him because he was from Iraq. They had been to Iraq. I and see. And they just had that in common. Yes. So, And, and I guess and they he did the donkey had his, his own struggles hard, the donkey had. Exactly. He, <laughs> you know, here he is. He's, Omaha, Nebraska is a far cry from... Iraq, uh, different climate, different plant life, different surroundings. He's, he's, he's in a barn with 20 or so horses. Horses don't always uh, respect donkeys from my, from my <laughs> understanding. <laughs> like, what's this little guy doing here? Right. So, uh, yeah, so he had some adjustment issues uh, as well, and I think the, the veterans responded to that. There's a picture of him in his first snowfall in Nebraska. You can imagine what the heat must have been like in Iraq. And I, I know when my little mini donkeys were out in the snow, it was pretty funny. They'd become snow-encrusted. It was, it was quite a sight. And th- their fur is so thick that you think, oh, my God, they're going to be freezing. But somehow their body insulates them. So did you wish or did John wish that Smoke could, I don't know, live at your house or something? Or were you very glad he didn't? <laughs> I I remember uh, going to work after after the donkey got home, and I don't know I can't tell you how many coworkers said, "So is the donkey living in the backyard?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the backyard is big enough for our poodles, and that's about it. 
<laughs> oh God. Yeah, having a donkey at home, you know, one learns the hard way. As the as the Marines who were, who replaced your husband's unit found, it's actually a lot of work. There's all the feeding, what goes in one end, what comes out the other end, water. Um, and I don't know if they had, even had inoculations there, but, you know, things like fly management. There's a lot of things to worry about. But we don't have that many donkeys in America. There is actually... In, in New Hampshire, a wonderful group called um, Save Your Ass Long-Eared Rescue. And it's all mules and donkeys and giant donkeys and giant mules and miniature of everything. And so there are some that are that are available for adoption, but you don't see donkeys much. I mean, in, in these other countries that, that you're referring to, they're, they're just part of the landscape and kind of uh, invisible as something of no value. But but we do know how to embrace the donkiness of a donkey in America and I think that smoke is a representative of his species that's really quite amazing. The the photos in the book are great. He goes to veterans parades. I mean, I guess all of the hoopla doesn't even bother him, huh? I guess he heard so many bombs or something. He seems unflappable. I think he, he loved people. He loved crowds. John would describe how he, he worked the crowds. And I, yeah. I heard this in Omaha, too. He went to, um, you know, uh, a lovely party out in in our version of horse country and they let him kind of wander around and he would just walk up to tables and kind of put his <laughs> snout in somebody's lap and and <laughs> then he discovered they had hors d'oeuvres and he checked those out. <laughs> it's so funny. So he just loves people. <laughs> it's really incredible. When he went to at one point they went to um uh what is it, the Veterans Day Parade in New York City. Yes. John took the donkey, and he would walk along the route. And when he saw someone in uniform, he would he would tug over that way and start checking out their their pockets because that's where John used to keep his right. horse treats. And so, so he, he could knew, recognize people being in uniform, which is darn smart. Yeah, yeah, he was a bright animal. And, and since they lived to forty years old. It's not as though bringing him over was kind of a waste because, gosh, he won't live long. He'll outlive us all, probably. Well, I, I, I do have to tell you that, unfortunately, we lost smoke. Oh. He should have lived much longer. But he came down with peritonitis and, uh, and died very unexpectedly. And so, I mean, John was in such shock. Uh, we eventually were able to have a necropsy done and the veteran veterinarian said there's there's nothing you could have done he had some obstructions intestinal you know scarring and so forth that probably went back to his time in iraq when he was roaming around on his own so yeah i hate to have a sad ending to that story well but, i mean uh, i i mentioned it because i had a sad ending to mona and lisa when when my husband was ill and i couldn't look after the donkeys and him I gave them to this, both of them, to this wonderful uh, residential program for children with that that really can't be in regular schools or even live at home called Green Chimneys. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of the human-animal bond takes place there because it's a farm-based school in Westchester. And I gave Mona and Lisa, and they gratefully accepted them. They already had one donkey, but they also had camels, and they had horses and bunnies and chickens and everything. And within six months, I mean, these donkeys of mine had never been to Iraq and had to eat something out of the gutter. 
Mona was dead within 12 hours. Similar situation. Something in her gut. And her daughter was 14 years old and had never been without her mother a day in her life. So I thought, oh, my God, what if Lisa, you know, dies of a broken heart? But like people and like dogs, they they adjust, you know, they they mourn and they grieve and then they make another attachment. But it was probably something very similar. And you don't think of donkeys as being, you think of them as being so hardy, you know, that, you know, it's not like a racehorse with a a funny tummy. It's very sad when it happens because you're more worried about leaving, taking care of them in your will than worrying about them dying before you. It's quite the opposite of dogs, you know. Yeah, it was so unexpected. But, uh, you know, I think we, we, we learned through our experiences with smoke that donkeys apparently are, are pretty stoic animals. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, they, they don't always tell you when there's something wrong. So That's exactly what happened with, with Mona. She, she just suddenly didn't eat. But, I mean, horses will show you a lot more. They'll lie down and moan and groan and won't get up. The important thing is the ambassador that he was for, you know, a, a place where so many Americans ser- gave service and suffered and lost their companions. And he really did represent something really great about those who went there and those who came back. And And I, I think he his story and the way you've told it is, is just so unique and so uplifting. And even though we know he's going to get here at the end of the story, it's it's hard to believe he does, given all the obstacles that are that are put in his way. And, and I, I just say kudos to your husband and, and uh, leaving no one behind and charging every hill. It's, it's a, a great quality and, and obviously brought a great deal of joy and hope to a lot of people. Well, thank you. I, I just, yes, I was, it was amazing as we lived through it. That, um, as you say, John, John refused to give up. And so many people, so many people, supported him and, and the effort and uh, you know, SPCA International didn't ever give up on us and it was it was a real tribute to yeah to, to teamwork and and to the human animal bond that this one and this one donkey meant that much to one man or, or one unit and other people had the respect for that and supported it it's great to know that there's big hearts even if there's no Nothing to be gained but goodness on the other side of it. It's just good to know when so many things seem to happen in the world driven by money and power and greed. And this was just pure goodness. And uh, and I'm sure that the time that, that Smoke had in the U.S. Was, was as wonderful for him as for everybody whose lives he touched. Thank you so much, Kate, for this beautiful book. Wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Take for care. On your program. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, and definitely stroke the very long, funny ears of your donkeys if you happen to have one. And we will talk again next week. Bye for now. Bye.